Science Communication Inclusive Science Communication You're listening to American Scientists DEAI ComSci The Science for All podcast where we aim to explore how science communicators are making science more reflexive, equitable, and engaging for audiences In this episode, Why We Podcast Sharing Your Voice in Science We'll hear from science communication leaders and podcasters Samir Hanwad, professor at the University of Buffalo Wendy Zuckerman, host of Science VS and 2022 Sigma Xi I4 Award winner and Aaron Scott and Emily Kwong from NPR Shortwave, as well as one of their guests, Dr. Tiana williams Clausen from the Yurok Tribe. I'm your host, Jordan Anderson. In our last episode of DEAI ComSci, we discussed how we can build science curiosity in non-STEM audiences through science fiction, film, and videography. This can lead people to look up the facts themselves and become better media consumers. And that got me thinking of other media platforms that we use to communicate, including one near and dear to my heart, podcasting. In this episode, we'll dive into how sharing your voice in science through podcasting can help us all navigate complex, relevant issues in science and society. Earlier this year in Atlanta, I went to a community building event. The nexus of the fight for me is protecting ancestral lands, protecting the climate, protecting the earth, making sure it has a voice. That's Wolf, who chose their name to conceal their identity. They were speaking at Wiluwani People's Forum. There was dancing, music, painting, native foods, tonics, and most importantly, people with a voice to share amongst their community. Here's another community member, Guillermo Zapata. I feel really happy that people are listening. You know, it's like you, people have like a moral obligation to do something about it. The IT is a United States police training facility in the city's South River Forest. People in Atlanta and all across the U.S. call it Cop City. Zapata says when people hear about something from the people directly experiencing it, it's special. You know, and they feel inspired to like have their own feeling of like relationship and like familiarity with their ecosystems and living things, you know, and like that this isn't just something that is about Atlanta. A lot of people are opposed to Cop City because of the potential for over-policing, threats to indigenous land and neighboring minority communities, as well as damage to the environment. Again, here's Zapata. I hope that it, it turns into something that's about like, you know, a cultural shift, you know, a change in like how people are treating each other and how people are treating the world, you know. Cop City caught significant media attention. Interviewers from the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fox News, and more came to listen to those like Zapata and Wolf. Through these platforms, Zapata and Wolf could share their voice and promote their desires to audiences across the nation. Collectively, these voices have had an enormous impact. Efforts to stop Cop City have grown to international levels, and this has resulted in significant social, political, and environmental delays to developing the facility. So what does this have to do with podcasting? Podcasts are a relatively new way for anyone to communicate their voice and share their opinions publicly. 
With the right following, a podcast can be a tool for substantial change in our environments that people can do entirely by themselves with very little equipment. In other words, the right podcast can replace mass media and bring significant attention to an issue. I wanted to learn more about how people are using podcasts to share their voice and create change, so I did a bit of exploration. After some digging, I came across Dr. Samir Hanwad, an assistant professor of learning sciences at SUNY Buffalo. Dr. Hanwad has been exploring how podcasts get people to think about environmental challenges in their communities, how people are treating each other, and how people are treating the world. How do we educate uh, people who live unsustainable lifestyles to live sustainable lifestyles? Dr. Hanwad's conclusion, making sure people have a voice. It, it's not rocket science to realize that traditional ways of teaching science is not working. When you're in the classroom, throwing science at people is definitely does not work. And these environmental problems are so complicated, right? They are personal, they are scientific, they have social political issues in them. If I listen to a story, I feel much more engaged. And podcasting is awesome because that's what it sort of does. One of the projects that Dr. Hanwet is involved in is Voices to Hear, which uses oral storytelling to empower Native American students to engage them in environmental decision-making and scientific communication while building a stronger sense of their ethnic identity. The students themselves make the podcast. Hello, my name is Kyra Baldwin. Today I'm going to be introducing our podcast topic, which is going to be revolved around salmon and the climate change. <clears throat> Um, not only is salmon restoration involving climate change important now, but in 10 years, this will be a huge issue with restoring salmon. Global warming could take salmon away from us completely. As you know, they're not easy to make. They are labor intensive. They require a lot of scaffolding. They require a lot of editing. So it's a work of patience and perseverance. Here's a little more on the episode titled Future Changes to Salmon Sustainability. If climate change keeps happening the way it is now, then farmers will lose their land with their crops. There'll be an increase in electricity bills and landowners will suffer. Farmers will have to sell their land to make salmon habitat safe in the area. What the students do is very interesting to us. Again, Samir Hanwad. One of the groups in our tribal youth made a podcast on mining. They had to look at history. Then uh, as soon as the history happened, they also realized, oh, there is uh, politics involved because tribal land was taken and then there's justice involved because sovereignty was at stake. What did the U.S. government do? What did the uh, tribal people do? And how um, uh, some people were oppressed, how their land was taken away. And then... Uh, the other part of the politics, which is like, okay, what is the U.S. government doing now to clean up the pollution which is caused by the mines? And that part is fascinating, right? Because who takes the responsibility of cleaning up? Does the state take responsibility? Does the state of Idaho take responsibility of cleaning up? Does the federal government take the responsibility of cleaning up? And then the science of actual cleanup. So all of that together can be discussed in a really small amount of time. And, and then when you put that story together, right, when you put all of this thing together, you can see that 
mining is not just a science issue. It's a political issue. It's a social issue. It's a cultural issue. It's a historical issue. And, and you can read all of that together or you can listen to all of that together. All complexity needs to be talked about together, not piece by piece by piece. Uh, and that's what the podcast or storytelling pedagogy helps us do. And that helps students, too, in what they go on to do. We've seen some really positive changes to what the students are thinking about in terms of their own future. Podcasts are easy to access platforms that are fun to create and allow us to use storytelling to understand challenging science topics. However, there are some additional challenges we may need to consider when we think about podcasting and the podcasts we listen to. One of those is avoiding bias in our messages. One of the ways to do so is by elevating a diverse group of voices in a podcast, which is something that NPR Shortwave does. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. NPR Shortwave is a famous podcast that I connected with because not only do they elevate a diverse group of voices, they also call into question who science has historically helped and hurt. People have a singular image of what a scientist is, and it can sometimes look an awful lot like Bill Nye. Emily Kwong is the co-host of NPR Shortwave. I love Bill Nye, don't get me wrong, but there's so many more individuals out there who do science, and we want to hear from them on our show. So I asked Emily and her co-host, Aaron Scott, how they advance diversity, equity, accessibility, and inclusion on their show. So I would say it's a combination of how we book, which is like a audio lingo term for who you actually put on the show, who listeners get to hear from, and how we pitch, which is not a baseball term. It just means what (laughs) stories we're deciding to tell. And one of the ways that we really want to elevate DEI on our show is by telling stories from a certain perspective that maybe isn't represented in mainstream media. And we do that all kinds of ways. As as Emily was saying, when we look for guests, you know, we recognize that in a lot of scientific fields, the, the people who tend to get interviewed, the people who get funding and grants and tend to run labs tend to, for the most part, be older, cisgender white men. Um, and so as we're, we're looking for people to talk to, we're always oftentimes looking to go beyond that space, looking at grad students, looking at postdocs, looking at science educators, looking at people who maybe don't necessarily have a PhD, but are working in science in different ways, oftentimes looking a lot at traditional ecological knowledge and people who hold indigenous knowledge. Um, Mm -hmm. So we cast a really wide net in the people that we want to talk to. One of those people is Tiana williams Clawson, a wildlife biologist of the Yurok tribe in Northern California, which has been working for years to reintroduce California condors into the sky. In this clip, she's talking on NPR Shortwave's episode titled The Quest to Save the California Condor, about the time her group released two condors. Obviously, there's this huge surge of excitement and happiness and fulfillment. But I also felt like I did when my daughter was taking her first steps. Hmm. Because these are birds that they've been raised in captivity before they came to us. And, you know, they're fully flight capable. They're two to three years old. But they've literally never had the opportunity to fly before. And so just seeing them so effortlessly take off into the wide blue sky, it was very heartwarming. 
Today on the show, the years-long quest to return California condors to their ancestral sky. The Tribal Wildlife Department is um, run by this woman, Tiana Williams-Clausen. Again, Aaron Scott. And along with several of her colleagues, has kind of spearheaded this push to reintroduce um, condors to their skies and um, did so earlier this year and live streamed the whole thing. So we have this great audio of her, you know, kind of giving a play-by-play of the birds in their facility as they open the gate. So, I mean, it's, it's, Tiana is, uh, um, we, we, we've talked to a number of Native scientists, Indigenous scientists um, about the way they do science and, you know, what they can use of kind of Western science, but also how to decolonize Western science. Ultimately, of course, the goal is that we bring the world back into balance. Again, Tiana williams Clausen speaking on Shortwave's podcast. And we no longer have to maintain this intensive management, and they are just free-flying, tagless birds reintegrated into their traditional role in our ecosystem and in our ceremonies. Historically, Western science was practiced in a way that didn't consider a diversity of cultures. In turn, many communities did not adapt Western science practices, including Western medicine and technologies. But through podcasts such as Shortwave, scientists such as Tiana williams Clausen can tell their story of how they integrate Western science with their culture. For williams Clausen, that is treating environments as sacred, and with an understanding that harming the environment not only harms communities, but all people. So after hearing the shortwave podcast, I wanted to hear more from Tiana williams Clausen directly about her work. So I reached out and she offered some additional details. At this point, our role as world renewal people is not to maintain this balance, but to restore this balance, or at least restore what, what balance can be found in this new day and age um, so that we have healthy and functioning systems again. So part of that is bringing species like condor who's been extirpated back because they they play an important role. And so it's kind of by sharing the shortwave spotlight. Again, Aaron Scott from NPR Shortwave. It means that, you know, we can talk about the science they're doing, share some of their personal stories, and it then becomes a tool that they can use as they're looking for a lab or applying for grants, like, you know, that it's helping to build the reputations and the portfolios of young scientists. Which further helps us all navigate complex, relevant issues in science and society. Again, Tiana williams Clausen. There's an entire generation, basically, that understood that it was dangerous to be Yurok, and so many of whom made the decision to not pass on the language, to not pass on the culture, to help children acclimatize in the hopes that they would survive and not have to suffer like that generation had had to do. I always think about our cultural values, our grounding as having been um, kind of banked in a time of, uh, in a really scary time where it wasn't permitted or safe to, to let it shine. But now we've come into a time again, where we can openly and freely without fear of repercussion, be who we were meant to be. And so the Yurok tribe puts a lot of effort into um, resolving these social injustice issues, bringing us to better health um, by investing in re reintegrating youth and adults as well who, who are struggling into traditional culture.
Podcasting and media creates a means to pass down some of the knowledge and traditions as both Dr. Hanwad and Dr. Williams Clausen have shared. So I really enjoyed my opportunity to talk to Shortwave. I really appreciated. For me, when I'm listening to something that is purely audio, it allows me to engage very cerebrally with it. I'm not distracted by the visuals and things like that. It can be very evocative because of the tones and the words that are used. Um, it is it is direct translation, a direct transmission of what the speaker is thinking and feeling. Today, there are nearly a half a billion podcast listeners worldwide. This episode that you, our listener, is listening to is only one of five million podcasts with some 70 million episodes. Because of the sheer volume of podcasts out there, important stories like the ones shared today with Dr. Hanwad and Dr. Williams Clausen can be easily buried. As a podcast host myself, I wanted to know what can make a novel or amateur podcast big. And so I reached out to Wendy Zuckerman, host of the popular podcast Science Versus, a fellow Sigma Xi member that I met at Sigma Xi's annual I4 conference in 2022. Her podcast reached enormous heights in the science community, and so I shared with Dr. Zuckerman my interest to learn both about what inspired her to create a science podcast and how she made it so popular. So I started just before the podcast bubble, which was very fortuitous for me, um, just dumb luck. Uh, but before working in podcasting, I was working at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, um, which is like the BBC. Most Americans are familiar with the BBC. We have the ABC. Um, Canada has the CBC. You know, welcome to the Commonwealth. Um, so before then, so I was working in um, television, doing some research um, for Australia's science show. Wendy Zuckerman is a trained scientist and lawyer. It wasn't until after she finished her law degree that she dove into a science communication career. And I never expected to have an entire career doing science journalism. It was always like my dream job. Um, but I was like, but this won't last. And then I got the job at New Scientist. And I was like, yeah, but like, this isn't going to last. And then got the job at the ABC. And then podcasting which led me to New York science podcast you're really good in Australia and it just like happened to be the week that Gwyneth Paltrow had suggested women steam clean their vaginas as she was making her like sliding doors transition from actress to health guru it was kind of in the early days of that and I was like this is crazy this is so funny like let's we, let's make a podcast that's like science versus Gwyneth Paltrow and just like look at the things people care about with, with joy and humor and not make it boring. Um, and then it like expanded out and I never did that Gwyneth Paltrow episode, but I, I pitched it to the ABC and, um, and they were like, yeah, make a pilot. And I was like, okay. I never didn't know what that really meant. I would like, I made, I made something and then I sent it out because it's just like there was no editorial or anything. So I sent it to my family. And they're all very clever and, and very opinionated in wonderful ways. So they were all like, they all listened and like made notes. They were like my editors. And I fixed up the pilot, sent it off, and they were like, great, make 10 more of these. Zuckerman started Science Versus in 2015. Since then, the industry has changed drastically. There weren't podcasting production and distribution companies like there are now. You can do it all on your own organically, but it has, it has become harder. Um, I think probably now... If you can work with a bigger podcast than you, if you can either get onto that show 
or get them to talk about your show, that helps you to get a little more listeners. And then you can kind of jump to the next rung. For those of you podcasting already or thinking of sharing your voice in science through podcasting, Shortwave's Emily Kwong and Aaron Scott have some additional suggestions. One other suggestion I would have is um, find partners. Like yeah. the, some of the independent podcasts I've known that have succeeded are podcast creators who are like, I want to do stories about the outdoors. Maybe I'll approach like Outdoor Magazine in the case of Peter Frickwright and Robbie Carver and like pitch my podcast to them and then they'll, you know, fund it and help me grow it. So it's like, who are the museums? Who are the science, you know, magazines that don't have podcasts? Who are the people that you could partner with and kind of go to them and hope that they have some basically institutional structure, have reporters, have experts, have people that you can collaborate with as you go about making something. So as opposed to, you know, doing something in the vacuum of your bedroom and doing it all yourself, there's a lot of really smart, talented people out there. And it's like, if you have a good idea, maybe you do a couple episodes to prove that, you know, what the idea is, and then you take it out and try to find somebody who's interested in in working with you on it. A little personal story about how we started DEAI ComSci is that this podcast came from a project during my master's at Duke University. I was researching where the gaps are in reaching non-science audiences with science. I wanted to know what the initiatives were that the scientists were creating to fill those gaps. Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society, had a common interest, and so this research evolved into a partnership with Sigma Xi, and it is now supported under American Scientists and the Burroughs Welcome Fund. If you're partnering with a local organization, nonprofit, school, after-school club, whatever, you know exactly who you're making that work for. And and who you're serving through that work and you get feedback from them. And I think that that's where your creative juices can really flow and also where you'll do your best work because you're making it in collaboration with other people. And it's a two-way relationship, right? Between the listeners and the audience and, and you. I feel like there's 50 million reasons to start one, but really know your reason. And that will help give your show focus. That will help give your show a sense of a moral foundation. Ours is everything is science, science is for everyone. And you hear that in every episode. That's the thesis of shortwave. That's the that's the the ball we're tossing out there every single episode. So I think giving your your just being a little intellectual about it in the beginning will really help you clarify your ideas as you go along. Um which is a very serious answer, but it's kind of how I strongly feel in our media-saturated world. We got to be more intentional about what we're saying to each other. Yeah, and it also means that having a reason to do something, I mean, both it's a lot of work, but there are so many podcasts out there that we've kind of hit the point where it's really hard to break out or to make money or to have a hit podcast. Um so it's kind of you have to be doing it for a very clear reason that is not necessarily fame or I'm going to, you know, make this a living, which is discouraging in some cases. And, you know, there's certainly people who do it, um, but it's a very hard time to uh, be starting something. Um, so having a clear mission for why you are getting something out of that podcast is is really important. 
I think it's 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 about picking topics again. Wendy Zuckerman that that people care about and and trying to open that up because like if you have a show that is mainly made by white people who are only going to be interested in like well, not only but like they there might be just certain cultural things that they miss that we I should say like that I miss um, and so I'm not picking a topic um, for a show that might actually be of like interest to someone else. Um, to a different group of people, um, whether that's someone who's like, you know, from China or who's African American, like I just might miss like an entire topic that would be super cool to science versus. And like through doing that topic, um, would, would get more listeners through the door as well. Something that we've cared about in the show, like from day one is like changing what the voice of authority sounds like when I was starting. And it's like radio, the idea that like, uh, you know, back then a young woman would be a voice of authority was like not something that people were interested in, that some people were interested in. It was, um, you know, I was told my voice was too high. I was told my voice was too low. Um, uh, you know, you can't be funny. You can't be a voice of authority and be funny. Like you have to be boring. That's what a voice of authority is. Um, and so just changing that, what that means. Um, is I think a part of just getting more people listening. Like my favorite thing about making the show is when people say, I, I don't like science, but I listened to your show and I, I like loved it. And I was like, oh, because it was something we did. We picked a topic that for some reason made you click on a show called Science Versus, that you cared about that topic enough and we kept you in through whatever, trying to trying to be funny, trying to make the science as interesting as possible. And you listen to the end and you liked it. And like, that's so wonderful. I think some of the work that we have to do to get people listening is to just be like, you care about science too. I swear, <laughs> it's relevant to your life. I remind them that science is everywhere and it's cool. Science is everywhere. And today, We've learned how we can approach science podcasts through science learning and science advocacy. We've also explored best practices for creating our own podcast and building a diverse audience in today's information-saturated world. Sharing your voice through podcasting helps all of us navigate complex, relevant issues in science and society. This episode of DEAI ComSci has been brought to you by American Scientist and Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society, and was edited by Robert Frederick. For transcripts of this episode, please visit americanscientist.org and look for the blog post that accompanies this podcast. Special thanks to Samir Hanwad, Aaron Scott, Emily Kwong, Tiana williams Clausen, and Wendy Zuckerman for joining us today. Today's music choices come from Epidemic Sound and the Free Music Archive. Please be sure to check out Voices to Hear, Science Verses, and NPR Shortwave, especially the podcast episode, The Quest to Save the California Condor. If you like what you heard today, follow American Scientist and follow me at Twitter at Jordan underscore Artside. I'm your host, Jordan. Thanks for listening.